I think that the mental game, as you know, can be really ambiguous. Granted, it's become very mainstream now, and, and I think we're more knowledgeable than ever. Look, let's make this simple, okay? The mental game has really got two pillars. One, what is your approach like? How do you manage the game? You know, we call that, of course, game management, golf course management. And then two, what can you do every day like ground balls and fly balls? That's a practice. Um, a lot of people, I think, in this day and age, they really see it's like top heavy. You know, the mental game is really more about strategy and, and you know, staying in the moment and pitch to pitch and what's your process. And I love all that stuff. And I think there's a place for that. And it's very, very important. You know, I think where the rubber hits the road is really more of the practice because the practice is at the foundation of really changing your infrastructure how you think and how you feel and how you react. You're dialed in to the ABCA's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast, connecting our coaches with some of the best baseball minds in our game. Now here's your host, Jeremy Sheetinger. Turn up those speakers to an 11 as we are broadcasting from the ABCA National Office here in Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome back or welcome to our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. We stand as your baseball coaching source for certified audio gold and the place where you come to connect with the very best baseball minds in our game. Episode 133, just patiently waiting for all of us on the other side of this intro. It's calm. It's breathing deep. It's in a zen-like state. But right now, I am in a state of fired up. To open up this dialogue with a tremendous friend and supporter of the ABCA, and we break down in detail how we as coaches can bring mental practice to our programs and provide clarity and focus for our players. Plus, we take questions right from our audience of loyal listeners, and we run them right to our guests. Buckle in for this one and bring pen and paper with you. For the first-timers dialing into the podcast, make sure you hit subscribe on your device so you never miss another show. Reviews and ratings are always appreciated, plus share these shows with everyone inside your baseball circle. Dive into the archives. You're going to find shows that will get into the details around every fundamental inside the game. We cover special interest topics, plus we hear directly from some of the most successful coaches and people inside baseball. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Find us at ABCA1945. You can also head over to our website, abca.org, if you're looking for more information about what this baseball coaching fraternity here is all about. Plus, make sure you subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. The second episode of our brand new feature, ABCA Extra Innings, lives there. Plus, there's so much more waiting for you. Our plan is to keep feeding that channel with even more content coming very soon. So make sure you hit subscribe. Head over to youtube.com slash abca1945 to find us and let us know what you think. Also, please feel free to reach out to me directly at Coach Sheets 3 on Twitter and Instagram or by email, Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org. Love the messages and the notes that come in each and every week, and it can't be said enough how much we appreciate each of you guys listening in. You are the motivation behind each and every episode. This is such a special community of learners and stewards of the game, and to be honest, it's an honor to navigate this journey with you. So much love, guys. Thanks for dialing in. And the last shout-out going to our proud sponsor of this podcast, our great friends over at AstroTurf, the leaders in the clubhouse for the turf industry. Episode 131 found us connecting with the National Director of Baseball, Aaron Klotz, to get the latest on what's happening there for the AstroTurf team. And, man, those guys are moving a million miles a minute. 
It was so cool to hear the details behind the fastest turf system designed by Baseball Metrics that's on the market. So please give them a follow on social media. You can find them at AstroTurf USA and also make time to head over to their website, AstroTurf.com. That's AstroTurf.com. Find out for yourself why AstroTurf has been ahead of the curve for over 50 years. And now we are rolling downhill and right into this week's guest. Our loyal listeners know Alan Jager from Jager Sports. He's the godfather of long toss, the mastermind behind the J-Band, and the prince of inner peace when it comes to mindfulness and mental training. So if you follow Alan, you've heard countless times, you become what you practice. And his calling for coaches to bring this into their practice plans to better prepare their players for the demands of the game. And we get Big Al unplugged on this one. And we cover an audible cornucopia of topics and ideas while taking questions directly from our listenership. And we deliver those right to Alan over the airwaves. It's a Take Feverish Notes episode for sure. But what may be the most prominent point made throughout the show is that we don't have to have our master's degree in sports psych to implement this mental training into our practice plan and into our programs. We as coaches, we have to move past that fear and dive headfirst into understanding the clear and present process that will give our players and even ourselves the right mindset and plan to execute on the field. And Alan does a fantastic job of navigating this path for us. So as a group, let's take a big deep breath in. Hold it. And exhale as we connect with Jager Sports founder Alan Jager on this week's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. And get ready, coaches. This great show is coming at you right now. Coaches, thanks for dialing into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. We're heading into the mental game with this week's episode. And again, if you've been following along on social media, You've been able to ask questions. You're going to hear those live on air. But to do that, we got to have one of the really the mental game gurus that we all look to out in our community, in our sport. And it's easy to pick up the phone and call Alan Jager from Jager Sports. Big Al, thanks for jumping on the call with us, my friend. Jerry, you know how I feel, man. It is an honor to be on this. You know how much I love this topic. Yeah. And uh, I can't I can't get uh Let's just say I'm ready to roll, man. <laughs> well, for the loyal listeners out there, you're going to hear a lot of Jeremy's. Let's go ahead and get this out. Alan, my wife, and my family are the only people that I allow <laughs> to call me Jeremy, and you're going to hear it a lot. So it's going to sound different, but we're going to run with it. Um, but Al, the big thing is, man, we're looking at this. You are in elite category. This is going to be your fifth time coming on the podcast <laughs> inside of a little over 130 episodes. You kicked us off with episode one. We brought you back on 34 with Kyle Bodie and Eric Cressy. We got you on 65 there from the Indianapolis convention. I had to bring you on for episode 100, but you just made a great point before we hit record, which by the way, we are 58 minutes into this and now we just hit the record button. Um, th- <laughs> this is your first time coming on solo. So are you excited about this or what? I'm totally excited, man. I, I, I feel like uh, I'm used to having a, a team around me, but uh, <laughs> luckily I got you on the other side there uh, you know, to support me and hold my hand. But uh, what can I say, man? It's always a treat uh, being on with a group of guys, but th- this is kind of cool because mm-hmm. we'll, uh, you know, we'll have a chance to kind of go back and forth. And uh, again, I'm just really looking forward to this episode. It's awesome. Well, it was a, for our listeners, just just to those that are keeping track at home, this topic came up and this, this opportunity, as I'm looking back, we're looking through the catalog of where we've been and all the different topics that we've hit. And, uh, I told Helen, 
I'm sorting through it and I'm going, well, we've talked this and we've talked that. We, you know, we need to probably talk mental game a little bit. And for whatever reason, this big idea pops in my head, this moment of, man, how long have we been doing this? And I literally had to go back to episode one, double check the date. And we had just crossed over. We we're three years and one month into the Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. And as many of you know, and I'm the first to make sure that we throw accolades your way, Al, you were certainly <laughs> one of the biggest catalysts and, and prodders to get this going, man. So again, we, we appreciate that. It's been a huge piece of development for me personally, but certainly our listeners and coaches that are out there. So again, thanks for the push to, hey man, this is something the ABCA should be doing. Well, listen, you're certainly making me feel validated by pushing and having me on for the fifth time. I mean, I'm almost getting to the point where I'm, I'm starting to blush, but, uh, <laughs> Hey, look at the end of the day, man, you know how I feel. This is, uh, we're both into education, we're both into development, and we're both so big into relationships and helping. I mean, we're all yeah. we're all trying to help each other. That's why we all come on and do this. That's why I'm I'm as big of a of a listener as I am a speaker. I mean, we're always trying to get better. So I cannot thank you enough again for having me on. It's it's just I can't say it enough, man. It's just a treat. That's awesome. Well, let's get into the meat of this episode. We're talking mental game, mental practice. We're going to cover a just a a, a myriad of topics, but I want to go into a quote that I pulled from one of your articles and you actually dropped this to me on the phone a couple nights ago, which has really stuck with me, you know, peak performance. That's what we're looking for. We're trying to coach in a way and deliver systems in a way that allow our players to really find, hold on to, and then find again, peak performance. You call it, it's like an accident. The more mental practice that's done, the more accident prone you become. And I've thought about that over and over again. Certainly want to make it part of the first part of the show but let's get right into the meat of mental game. Can you define for our listeners, just as a landing page for the entire conversation we're getting ready to have, define mental game. What pillars inside of it do you see, but how do you see this, this vast area that we quote unquote call mental game? Well, look, before I go into that, you can't throw out something that deep and heavy and have me not comment on it. <laughs> that's but true. Uh, <laughs> That's true. That that line I, I borrowed from actually a, a kind of a cool Zen line, which is enlightenment is like an accident. Mm. The more you meditate, the more accident prone you become. And I've just sort of substituted instead of enlightenment, peak performance, it's the same idea. Mm. Um, yeah, so for me, I mean, it's this, this whole idea of us talking about mental practice today. And that's what I'm looking forward to it. As far as getting back to the the simplicity of really breaking down the mental game. I have always tried to keep this so simple. I think that the mental game, as you know, can be really ambiguous. Um, granted, it's become very mainstream now, and and I think we're more knowledgeable than ever. Mm -hmm. But I still find it really helpful whenever I, I speak or work with a player. It's like, look, let's make this simple, okay? The mental game has really got two pillars. One, what is your approach like? How do you manage the game? You know, we call that, of course, game management. Mm -hmm. Golf is called course management. And then two, what can you do every day, like ground balls and fly balls? Um, that's a practice. Um, a lot of people, I think, in this day and age, they really see it's like top heavy. You know, the mental game is really more about strategy and, and you know, staying in the moment and pitch to pitch and what's your process. And I love all that stuff. And I think there's a place for that. And it's very, very important. But I, I always tell everybody I speak with, you know, I think where the rubber hits the road is really more of the practice because the practice is at the foundation of really changing your infrastructure mm -hmm. of how you think and how you feel and how you react. So, you know, I know that the, at the end of the day, it's really important to hit both topics. And I know we'll talk a little bit about the game management parks. I still love talking about that as well, but I'm glad that this episode is really going to, I think, 
the piece that hasn't been talked about nearly enough. And, and that's really more of the mental practice. Yeah. And before we get to that, I do want to talk about game management because I know that you have tools and there's, there's some guidance that you could offer coaches listen to this and points on how they could manage this for their players. And I mean, even for themselves. And I think a lot of it comes back to, and I think you might agree with this in essence, it is. And I know you tweet about this a lot and you think this way it's our, you know, human instinct to want to think about the past and, and almost feel like we can go back and change it, which we can't, but we get lost back there in the past, but we also just completely bypass the present, which is our, in our control. And we think about the future and we're, we're already an inning ahead thinking, man, I, when it gets to that point, I'm going to do this. And the whole time we're missing what's right in front of us. And I don't want to, you know, quote Kung Fu Panda, but I will because Cooper watches <laughs> a lot of Kung Fu Panda and, uh, it, it's, you know, it, that's a, that's a quote. The line that comes out of that show is, you know, he talks about, we can talk about the past, talk about the future, but man, you know, the, the, the time right now is the present it's a gift. And so I know that that fits right into your sweet spot of game management for the players, for the coaches. Can you just open up maybe the tools or some of the guiding points that maybe, uh, take us a little bit further to understanding how we can be better in this area? Yeah. I mean, I think like anybody in the mental training field, you know, we spend most of our time troubleshooting situations and almost all the situations are going to be about the past and the future, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's a, a worry, a worry about something that happened, a stress or anxiety about something that's going to happen in the future. And honestly, I mean, I've been doing this for 29 years, even though I'm only 31. And, um, I better say that one again. Yeah. I've been doing this for 29 years. <laughs> I was going to, I was going to let the listener marinate on that for a minute. <laughs> yep. So you're so good that you were able to keep us, you were able to straight face sure, it. No doubt. And let it keep going. And then you, so you, what it did is it turned it on me and I said, Oh, did I say that right? So, uh, no, I've been doing this for 29 years. Mm -hmm. And honestly, what I've learned in 29 years, um, I've answered a lot of questions about countless variables about the future and the mm -hmm. past. And what I've really come to the, to the conclusion of, and I've really tried to narrow down my, my, my talk on, on game management to a, really about a five or 10 minute overview, which is A, what can you control? What's your process? What's happening now? I mean, these again are terms that have been around forever. I just think that I try to say this with more teeth in it. I try to get to a point, you know, sort of that Bruce Lee 10th degree black belt mentality of like, what is really happening now? You know, you know, you and I have talked a lot about hitting the center of the center of the center of a nail yeah. to make it go into a piece of wood as efficiently and effectively as possible. You just can't be anywhere else. You can't mm -hmm. look left. You can't look right. That's like the future and the past. You just got to crush the center of the center of the nail over and over and over. And so I've sort of translated that into, I ask every player I've ever worked with, what is your process? Meaning, what do you need to do right now to lead to the best execution of your swing or this pitch or your secondary lead or your jump in the outfield. It, it doesn't matter. Your four foot putt versus your 12 foot putt. At the end of the day, it all comes down to, I need to execute something now to lead to my best result possible. Right. So what is the execution? And that of course is the process. And here's what I've done. And anybody that follows us on Twitter knows I tweet this all the time identify your process, number one. What is it? Okay, it was a pitcher. Let me tell you what mine is. And when I speak, this I literally go through it this way. Mm -hmm. I've learned from 46,000 years of, of pitching. I did pitch until I was 45, believe it or not, <laughs> Sunday leagues. Mm -hmm. So I got a lot of practice at this. But at some point, 
my process would be as follows. Breathe. Well, breathing relates to the second part of our talk today, right? Yeah. It relates to my meditation, calming, relaxing, quieting, happening now, instinctive, not thinking. So my breath becomes a major, major anchor, if you will. Intention. Where do I want the ball to go? Well, if I'm throwing a forcing fastball, you know, it's the E and Easton of the glove, mm-hmm. right? It's like the E. That's my focal point. So to me, I want to have a focal point, which again, that word intention is so powerful. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a word I, I know Butch Thompson loves to talk about. And he's, I think, revitalized that word with me, you know, hearing him talk about it. But focal point, what's your intention? Well, now you got to finish a job. Your mind has somewhere to go, like a self-fulfilling prophecy, like you're sending a message of how to organize itself. Beautiful. Now I need to finish a job by attacking or being convicted to that focal point. Now, if you said to me, hey, Alan, honestly, if you just did those three things, breathe, have a focal point and attack, is there anything else you'd want to add or take away to make the best pitch of your life? And listen to what I'm saying. Yeah. This is the best pitch of my life, not just now, forever. <laughs> now, I can theoretically two days from now add something or take something away, but from 40 whatever years or however many years it has been of pitching for me, I truly believe that if I am immersed in breath, focal point, and attack, those three things. I'm not even, I notice I didn't even say anything about my mechanics. Right. Because I believe that that all self-regulates, that's all, the dance happens by itself anyway. Breathe, focal point, attack. So I'm, I've just told you the three keys, my process, to leading to the best pitch of my life forever. Now, if you said as a hitter, I also hit my whole life until I was 45. Mine was also breath for the same reasons. See the ball well and hit it hard. That was my mantra. Mm. See the ball well, because I believe that you have to see the ball well, first and foremost, as a hitter. And then hit the ball hard. That was my mantra. Someone else may say, you know, see the ball below your hands, stay inside the ball, um, scratch the dirt out with your toes, whatever. But my point is this, whatever it is, it is your process when you can say, if I do these one, two, or three, or it could be four things, but when I do these constants, I call them, Hmm. it will lead to the best execution. I can't control the result, but it will lead to the best execution that's going to position me to have the best, now in this case, at, at that of my life. And I truly believe And I've seen this happen very quickly with athletes where when they identify their process and they realize, okay, now I got to be great at it. And now they realize because you've identified these quote unquote constants, here's the cool part, Jer, everything else are now variables. Yeah. So you have a choice. Do you want to lock into and commit to the three constants that you already have told me are going to lead, they're yours, not mine. You've told me they're going to lead to the best at bat or pitch of your life. So you have the three constants that are knowable. Well, now you have a billion unknowable, ever-changing variables. Who's in the stands, what the score is, who you're playing, what time of year it is. And so now that's what I call drama. The variables are drama or distractions. You can call them a number of things. And believe it or not, that five minutes or whatever it was that I just spoke for is what I truly believe the game management piece comes down to. It comes down to identifying your process and being great at it and understanding that once you've identified it, you are now highly alert and highly sensitive 
to leaving your process because you now know you're either Bruce Lee, 10th degree black belt, your process, or you're not. You're either, I use this a lot, I don't know if it's, I hope it doesn't offend anybody, but you're, you're either pregnant or you're not. Hmm. And so what happens is when you get this clear, now we're talking serious commitment, discipline, dedication. When you get this clear, Jer, now it's all about, wow, it's kind of black and white. I mean, yeah. it is black and white. I'm either committed to my process or I'm in some variable. And you're not, right? By the way, you're not a bad person. <laughs> if you the you're, variable, no, you're human. You're human. But yeah. now, no, you've entered the world of drama. And with drama comes any one of a number of, of variables, stress, anxiety, worry, threat, fear, future, past, on, you know, thinking, overthinking, too much thinking, whatever. It all goes into the world of variable and into the world of drama. So believe it or not, and, and I know we could talk for hours on game management alone, I honestly have taken my 29 years and truly, this when I meet with players or a team, this is what I do now. I get them to write down their process. It's their process. It empowers them. It's what they believe leads to the best execution of their, their pitch or their swing or whatever they're working on. And it's clear. There's no. It's clear. And here's the last thing I'll say. It's a relief because now a player knows, an athlete knows, I don't need to worry about 800 variables anymore. I've got three constants that I know resonate with me and are valuable and they're intrinsic. And they're and so now there's sort of this feeling of peace of mind, like, okay, this is cool. I'm in my own little world now. I got my three things versus trying to manage a billion ever-changing variables. Oh, man. Okay, that's all week time we have for uh, this week's podcast, guys. <laughs> that's phenomenal. That Like, we could cut it and roll. But that just opens up even more. And I love, I don't want to pin you on this, but I, I want to interchange process for routine. And I don't know if that's going to fit or not. It, uh, maybe you understand my hesitation on that because it's easy for a player to listen and go, oh yeah, it's got to have a routine. We're, I don't think we're talking about clicking your heels three times and doing four dry swings. We're talking the mental process between your ears. Am I correct on that? Yeah, you could say the mental process really that is intrinsic. Intrinsic to me is a powerful word. There we go. What's your inner drive, your inner guidance, your inner purpose? Like what truly brings you meaning and value? And I know that sounds pretty deep, but at the end of the day, when you pitch or, 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 or have a, when you have a great game of anything, a great anything in life, mm -hmm. there's a really deep, meaningful value. And so some people might think it sounds a little corny. At the end of the day, I'm just trying to be real. I mean, yeah. This is why we put the 40 hours a week in a BP in the gym and whatever. I mean, we're, we're working hard. And so if we're going to work so hard to position ourselves to excel in game situations, well, at the end of the day, if we pull this off, if we pull it off, that, that didn't sound very confident. If we execute this yeah. to the ability that we know we can because we now have awareness, we're now aware of the difference between the constants and the variables. And now we execute a plan that's much simpler, it, it brings incredible meaning. And it, and it also brings something every athlete wants, which is consistency and continuity. So back to the word routine, that question actually has really come up uh, uh, quite a bit over the years. And I try to let people be okay with like, hey, if routine works for you, that's great. The reason I love the word process is to me, it's sort of like a dual meaning. The word process itself connotes the idea of what we're trying to accomplish 
but I almost feel like there's a visual when you say the word process. Like it's sort of like the A leads to the B, that you're, you're really consumed more by the A. So I don't know if someone likes the word routine, but I agree with you. Maybe sometimes the word routine can be a little confusing because is routine mean superstition? Does routine yes. mean, like you said, X, Y, and Z? Yeah. And I like the word process because I feel like process is almost like an active word. It's you're, you're, you're not just saying the word process. You're actually feeling what it's like to go into process as opposed to the result or the outcome or the consequences. Mm, okay. And an easy kind of path that we're building here is I think coaches, and I'm 100% guilty of this, <clears throat> I think it's easy to stand in front of your guys and say, hey, we got to stay in the moment. Or, hey, you know, just relax, trust your breathing, you know, doing those things. And But I don't think many coaches are talking about, well, what does that look like in practice? And it's one thing to tell a player, hey, trust your breathing, but have you worked with him on his breathing? I mean, you should have it, but have you really taught it? Have you built a almost a safe space around it that has maybe detailed out what that looks like? What's that look like in the moments? One thing to watch a, a professional pitcher on TV step back off the rubber and take a big deep breath and then engage the rubber again, but it's another for a coach to take that video in front of his players and really describe what's happening here and then there's another step to take that into your practice plan and have them make this part of their routine and their process, using both words there. But how do you, how would you, if, if I'm a coach listening to this, how would you bring mental practice into the culture of your program? Because that is a huge step of, hey, it's, we're not just going to talk about it. We're actually going to be about it. We're not going to talk the talk. We're going to walk it in terms of what this looks like on a daily basis inside of our practice plan. How do you do that, Alan? Well. Thank you for the layup because, you know, in my heart of hearts, that's where I want to go. <laughs> and, and again, it's I know you well. You do. And I love talking process, man. And I can talk for hours on that. And again, I don't ever want to uh, discredit its value because it is it is a crucial element as well. But kind of using what taking a piece of your question, if a coach says, hey, take a deep breath, they're saying the right thing. If a coach says, hey, you know, step off the mound and, do, you know, do this, uh, do that. The idea is good, but if the player doesn't know, hasn't identified what a process is to begin with, it's hard to redirect them back to where they, they want to go. Like yeah. taking a deep breath may be good, but if their mind's thinking about the bases are loaded and there's 30 things going on, it may default back to that anyway. So one of the reasons why I like to have a process in place is so that when you give cues in the game, your cues are now connecting process and the longer the player's been doing the process you can argue really the stronger and the quicker that connection is made now take that one step further into your question which is well how do you how do you implement a practice and you know how do you implement some type of practice in practice so that you are not only working on beneficial skills like clearing your mind and relaxing and but think about it mental practice some of the benefits are mental discipline, concentration, bringing you to the present moment, you know, connecting you to your own world, mm -hmm. so to speak, to your own focus. Awareness. Awareness. Yeah. Thank you. Great word. Yeah. So I think the practice is twofold. <clears throat> On the one hand, there are, when I say countless, there are countless benefits to get out of mental practice or breathing or meditation, um, relaxation, visualization. There, there are countless benefits to get out of it. But I also feel like a huge piece to the practice is that it helps players start to cross over to connecting to what their pr 
processes every day. So in other words, if mine is breathe, focal point, attack, well, yeah, I'm going to use mental practice, you know, that, that 10 or 15 minutes we do before practice to breathe and relax and clear my mind. But what does breathing and relaxing clear my mind also benefit me for? Well, it makes me clearer and more in tune with my process, mm-hmm. right? And I and we can even go into another level of saying you can do mental practice um, for all these benefits, but you could also use mental practice and spend part of your time in mental practice just really focusing on your process, you know, and really making it experiential, as you said, instead of talking about it, living it. But without getting too complicated, I think first we should just, you know, really going back to your question, which is where you led me, is what does it really mean to bring mental practice to the culture? I mean, if we already have some ideas of what game game management are like, the other, you know, key element of mental training is is the practice. And so yeah. for me, uh, I, I'll make this simple. If you're going to take ground balls and fly balls and PFP and first and third rundowns every day, how would you not have some type of mental practice every day if we all agree that at some point when you cross the lines and the uni's on, the game's going to be 90% mental or more. Mm-hmm. So let's start with really that first premise. Mental, I have a tweet I just love, and, and I don't, mean that in an arrogant way. I, I just I just love it because it resonates so much with this topic, which is any practice plan void of some type of mental practice, and then in parentheses I put, you know, breathing exercises, relaxation, meditation, etc., is incomplete. Hmm. Any practice plan void of some type of mental practice is incomplete. And so I think, Jared, let's start out with the the first premise, which is mental practice is part of the practice plan. It's not an add-on. It's not something we sort of kind of want to do a couple times a week or maybe sort of if we bring our sports psychologist over today or uh, a mental a meditation teacher, have them come in. That's great. It's a good start. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I just love that Nino, Nino Gerentino, right? Did I say that correctly? Nino Giratano. Giratano. Nino, sorry, buddy. Nino's actually a good <laughs> friend of mine. So even worse. That's Nino, Nino Girantano, let's go with that. Yeah. So he was speaking at the ABCA and I'm sitting there listening to him. He was talking about the mental side of hitting. And this might've been six years ago, five years ago. And he's going to, he said the same thing I'm going to say right now, which is so profound. You don't need to be a sports psychologist or spend 10 years, you know, meditating to teach mental aspects of the game. And I think that that's one thing I want to kind of break that mold or or get through that potential obstacle up front. Yes, you need a little practice. You need to kind of get a feel for it. Is it something you're going to maybe do overnight? Okay, maybe you need to, you know, work on a little bit like anything else you're going to prep for. But with that said, and one of the things, of course, we're going to do later on is is talk about a 10-minute breathing exercise, a 10-minute mental practice that the coaches can, mm-hmm. you know, implement each day. But I, w- I just want coaches that are listening to this to know, or players to know, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be perfect. The bottom line is this, is just start to integrate this part of the game and just know over the next week or two or three, there's some very basic steps to learn. But at some point, you're going to be doing this like a champ. You're going to feel comfortable. You can even make an audio for your players at some point. Okay. But the but part of this 
podcast really is about coaches understanding that by the end of this podcast, and we have some supportive links I know that you're going to post as well, mm-hmm. that they are going to feel confident to, to lay their players down on the grass or sit them down in the locker room and walk them through a 10-minute breathing exercise, if you will. And so anyway, I, I, I probably got a little bit lost in your question. Sorry for the super long answer, awesome. but I hope I... Hope I kind of got there. Yes, hundred percent. Well, you just walked right into the spider web of you know talking about the article that you have that really details out what a ten minute practice would look like. I know we are going to add that, throw it out on social. Also, the meditation, the meditation link uh, that gives you guys the opportunity to kind of see what this might sound like, and certainly we'll we'll detail this out throughout the show. But back to the article, when you lay out what a ten minute practice would look like, and that's all you're saying. I I really thought you were going to go with the tweet of you become what you practice, which really boils that entire thought down to, I mean, if you're not training to be mentally tough, you become what you practice. So in, in that side, that 10 minute segment of practice, whether that's the beginning, the end before, you know, before you go stretch, you lay them down for 10 minutes. What's that look like? Just take our listeners just through what that might step-by-step look like on the clock. That way they get a framework for when you do bring it back up, they kind of know where you're going with it. Love it. Okay. So number one, keep it very simple. It's really the first thing you should do maybe after and a hello, you know, how you guys doing sort of a congregation connection check in, Mm -hmm. but let's say more or less after the first few minutes, you know, these kids have come from class. They maybe have come from a a tough exam. Um, They may have some stuff on their mind from something that happened on social media, um, girlfriends, what, what have you. So the bottom line is this, give them a place to have some space to stop. So part of the mental practice really is stopping and and decompressing and let stuff go that's gone on prior to that day, possibly from the night before, possibly from two days ago, possibly from something that's going to happen tonight or tomorrow. And and give them a safe space to just say, guys, let's stop. So number one, the most important time, bar none, is to do the mental practice at the beginning of practice. And I'll say one other quick note on that. The practice to me, will be 10 times more effective and efficient <laughs> from the player's experience because of the meditation, so to speak. Yeah. So that's a se- second reason to do it. But number one, just stop, give them a chance to breathe, so to speak. Okay. And so beginning of practice, number one, and then two, it's daily. It, first of all, if it's daily, think of it this way. If we, lay, if we lay down every day and clear our minds and relax and get in tune with our bodies and develop this great mind-body awareness and learn how to let distractions go and worries go and thoughts go, now you do that every day and that becomes your new normal. Well, now the first day of regionals or let's say you have a very important conference game to get into, to get a bid, mm-hmm. now instead of the mind wanting to go into all that drama, it's had seven months since September or maybe three months since January because maybe that's when a coach started it. Guess what? You now have a chance to be, now there, there's where that routine word I like. Yep. You now have a chance to be in a routine that your new normal is to breathe, clear your mind, relax, tune in, get quiet, let distractions go, and that's your default now. Mm-hmm. And so now all of a sudden the mind may still say, yeah, but we got a big game today. Boy, that goes back to the first part of our talk. Yes. So so out of the process, so into drama. But the mind may say it because it's we're human. But now you have a chance to catch that thought quickly and come back to your breath because you're spending months and months with your breathing and, and things that your breath 
brings about. So anyway, that, that would be sort of um, a couple of quick overviews of when to do it, why to do it, and then I guess obviously we can talk about how to do it. Yeah, and we will. I want to go into this just to kind of wrap this little front part up before we get into questions from our coaches. Um, and I think it's a fair point. I just want to see you expand on it a little bit. We have to, and again, as, as all of us on this call, mental skills are developed. Uh, there's, there's players that you'll have that roll out and they can't really define it and they've got it and, and stuff doesn't get to them and it's ingrained. Yes, but there's a lot more majority of your players and us as coaches included that I mean, we have to work at this. This is something that again, um, uh, Maybe my self-talk likes to lend itself towards the negative side of things. You'll have players that have that. For whatever reason, their, their upbringings, their thoughts tend to go that way. These things can be developed. They're just like the physical skills. They're just like the ground balls, the swings, the bullpens. We have to find time to work on it. Now, how, how would you, as a, as, a, uh, as a person that lives in this space, Alan, how would you continue to hammer that point home with these coaches? I love it, man. Um what I try to do up front is I try to use knowable concepts with people so it's familiar, it makes sense, easy to understand. Every player, every coach that's been in a sport understands practice. We all know that reps are crucial, yep. and that's why we do an hour of first and third rundowns and pickoffs and PFP and stuff like that because it's crucial. Yep. So. I try to use that angle with the mental games to not keep this, to not, to not make this complicated. Mm -hmm. And that's why you, you earlier mentioned a, a, a line that I sometimes open up with when I speak. And I can't believe we're however many minutes into this and, and I haven't said it yet. And this is straight from Dr. Shana Shapiro, anybody that's interested. And in, uh, I love referring out people that have influenced me. And, um, you know, sh she's just a rock star in the mindfulness community. Um, but her name is Dr. Shana Shapiro, and you can look her up on YouTube. I think she's done a TED Talk, but I've done a number of retreats with her, and that's one of her key lines is, you know, you become what you practice. So if you want a more relaxed mind, practice it. If you want to be thinking less, practice it. If you want to be more in the present moment, practice it. If you want to be more calm, practice it. Mm -hmm. So... To me, again, we can write down 50 key words in the mental game, you know, um, feelings and experiences that we want to, to come through when we're performing. These can all be, and I love what you said up front. It's so important. If you look at these as skills that are being built and developed, yeah. and, and, and here's one last piece. <laughs> if you look at society, Society has done a good job of helping us practice sort of the opposite of where we want to be. So the, the zone is basically the absence of thought, the absence of the future and the past. Mm. And if you look at the society we're brought up in, well, we're brought up around, by the way, the zone is a quiet place. Yeah. <laughs> so if you look at society, obviously we're brought up in a pretty noisy society, right? We're brought up in a society that we tend to really be focused on the future or the past. And so in a way... It, it seems silly to think that we're going to walk into a game environment with all these consequences at stake and numbers are at stake and batting averages are at stake and scouts are in the stands and assume we're going to walk up like a monk in a very quiet, peaceful, calm, clear, powerful state when we haven't had that practice. Now, can you do that without practice? Of course. But my point is this. I, I like percentages. I like playing the odds. And... 
if I want that to be part of my life, just like ground balls and fly balls, well, I want to make that a practice that I do every day because I want a clearer mind. I want to be quieter. I want to be more relaxed. I want to be more present. I want to be more disciplined. I want to be less affected by distractions and consequences and results in the future. So to me, this is a practice, which is why this topic to me is is critical. Again, I just want people to understand that if you want to get better at any skill, you pick it. Look, you pick a skill mentally. I mean, you don't have to do it right now, but I want a coach out there to pick three skills for themselves in life. They want to get better at it. They want to be less stressed. They want to be less in the future. They want to worry less. They want to be more present. They want to be more relaxed. They want to have a quiet, they don't want to be thinking so much. They want to have a quieter mind. Great. Okay, we just labeled all things that are skills that can be worked on and developed. Now, my follow-up question, of course, is, and it's not a guilt trip, it's just, what are you doing each day, mm-hmm. like ground balls and fly balls, to develop those skills? Are we just rolling the dice, assuming they're going to show up because they're supposed to show up? I mean, I hope so, for the, the sake of um, you know our world, because <laughs> it would be a healthier world if we were all that way. But uh, again, we if we're living in a noisy environment, so to speak, um, and we haven't even talked about things like you know cell phones, video games, social media. That's a whole other level of noise. Mm-hmm. Not not just <laughs> real noise like traffic and cell phone. You know, phones ringing. Sure. Um, so anyway, I, I just think you know. Again, that was a little bit of a tangent on this whole idea of you know you become what you practice, and if you want to get better at anything, and that's the last thing I'll say about mental practice is it's there for the taking. It's free. It's just about mm-hmm. doing the work just like you do the work in anything else you want to get better at. That is so good. I know we talked about this a little bit. Yeah. We just do, and I know we're getting short on time here. Can we just do a brief, just sort of how that 10-minute exercise would look? And again, I'm not going to go into great detail because it's on the link itself. Sure. You, you, we have time for that? Yeah. You want to get no, questions? take us right into it. That's awesome. Okay, let's do this. Let's just talk about uh, if I'm a coach brand new to this, um, or you're a coach brand new to this, you know, what are some of the, the, the main bullet points? Um, and again, I'm going to be brief because it's in the article. But, but number one, um, as a coach, just know that uh, you know, you're pretty much going to um, create that space from where the kids have come from to prior to practice mm-hmm. um, by giving them a chance to stop. We talked about that earlier. Um, Number two, what I do is I lay the kids down. Uh, I want them comfortable. Um, they can sit up if that's more comfortable. They actually will tend to be more alert um, if they are sitting. Um, but number three, I love getting them into their body. So before we actually do like a breathing exercise, I will actually have them scan their body because I want them, A, my body awareness is powerful. B, when you get your attention into your body, you're out of your head and you're out of your thoughts. And then lastly, about getting in your body, your body is always in the present moment just like your breath is always in the present moment. So when you have someone go into their body, especially their feet, because that's the furthest point from their head. Yeah. <laughs> and we all heard that term, you know, be where your feet are. Sure. There's more value to that saying than I think people may understand. But it also is a great metaphor going into the feet and getting out of the thoughts. And so that's part of getting present. That's sort of step one. Hmm. Step two is I really want them to let go we talk about laying on a raft. Again, this is all in the article. Um, the idea of letting go is truly this a state of, of relaxation, of trust, 
Trust is another word for confidence. So there's all these built-in, you know, um, skills that are being built as well. Um, so we talk about laying on this raft and letting go and letting the grass, you know, support you and do the work. Um, when you're in the zone, by the way, you are in a state of what's called letting go or, or um, you know, flowing. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason why we want to start getting them to flow. Again, letting go, relaxing. These are all ways of starting to also get into the body and out of the head. And at some point, um, I'll have them just watch their breath for a, a couple minutes because I want them to realize this magical thing that keeps you alive 24 hours a day for the you know 365 days a year. So we just know it's very, very important. And if that's the only thing you know about your breath, you can probably use your instincts to say, you know what, my breath's pretty important. So <laughs> paying attention to it is a great idea. The breath is also not a thought. The breath is an instinct. So these are all you know other really important principles to connect to as part of this mental practice session. Um, and then at some point I'm going to have them do some kind of a, uh, you know, accounting of the numbers an observation of the numbers, meaning inhale is a one, exhale is a two, inhale is a three, exhale is a four. So I'm having them do some kind of a practice that is going to maybe in case they're very distracted or it's not as easy to get into the letting go phase, mm. they have something to hold on to. They have something to focus on. And so using the breath and counting the breath and that kind of metronome is, is, a, is a cool deal. So I might do that for a few minutes. Again, it's all in the article. And then I'll just sort of have them stop counting at some point um, and give them a few minutes just to chill out so they don't really have to feel like they have to do anything. And then I'll just sort of bring them out with some exit, sort of speak, some culmination comments. And I'll sort of bring them out of the session and I'll make sure when they come out of the session that I want them to know when they open their eyes that the session is still going. Mm-hmm. We're just transitioning into a different part of the day. So um, I just wanted to at least give the skeleton quick overview of sort of what the 10-minute the mental practice session you know, you know, sort of looks like chronologically. But again, um, it is in detail uh, on that mental practice plan link that I know uh, is going to be available as well. Can you substitute once you get to a place where we're counting and guys are getting really versed at this and actually getting really good at it and, and able to get themselves to a different place, do you subscribe to or can coaches move in a direction of adding in maybe positive affirmations at some point? A million percent. So I look at this as sort of a A, B, C, D. The, the, the A is the stopping. The B is sort of getting into the body. The C is starting to do some form of breathing, exercises, affirmations, visual. You can do a number of things, and then the D is sort of to bring you out. So sort of what happens in that C, which is the middle piece, at first it's really, you know, fundamental stuff like tuning into your breathing, counting your breathing, because, of course, the breath um, has so many important and helpful properties. But, yes, at some point the idea is that as you start to do this more and more and you can get into your counting and you can get into your breath and you can get sort of present, more quickly and you feel like you have um, some kind of skill with this, Mm -hmm. yes, then all of a sudden you can start to lengthen the session and start to add in pieces, whether it's affirmations, whether it's visualization, whether it's mental rehearsal, which is also, I believe, called, you know, guided imagery. But that's where you can kind of play. A a martial arts studio I used to rent for our our guys before spring training, Um, he was a uh, he's a sense, you know, he's the sensei there, and he used the term workshop, meaning you go, you know, you you do your prep, stop, 
get present, get into your body, get into your breath, get quiet, let the thoughts go. Now, all of a sudden, we can either go into straight relaxation, which, of course, promotes countless benefits, <laughs> but also we can go into relaxation and then sort of transition into all sorts of other cool things that have a, more benefits as well. And again, whether that's an affirmation, whether that's visualization, you know, whether it's imagery, I tend to use affirmations just, you know, ironically, I use them actually as the part of the exit. So let's yeah, say the sure. guys have had this, you know, nice deep relaxation or gals have had this nice deep relaxation. What I will do to cue them to come out is I will bring them back to their breath. If you know, I may not, they may not be there, but I'll bring them back to their breath. And then what I'll have them do is I'll have them inhale a certain way. And then as they exhale and release that breath, I'll ask them to do it slowly and smoothly and just sort of remind themselves that they're starting to feel completely clear-minded, completely focused, completely present. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, and I will repeat that several times because it usually takes me a while to get the kids to come out because side note, they don't want to come out yeah. because when the human body and mind and spirit are touched in a place that is comforting and calming and relaxing and nurturing and healthy and healing, it's, I've done this for 29 year sheets. Mm -hmm. Now we went from a Jared to a sheets, man. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm evolving here. Now we're dialing up 29 years, man. That was a change-up, by the way. 29 years. I know this is going to sound uh, almost over the top, but I have rarely, if ever, done a meditation with a group where I did not have to work hard to bring them out. Mm -hmm. They do not want to come out. And I've pointed this out to parents and coaches that are watching when I do the meditation with the group because it's so automatic. It's been so automatic that I, I will tell them, Watch how hard this is going to be for me to get these kids to open their eyes. And, and I just, and I'll, maybe that's a great way to summarize this is the irony to mental practice, call it whatever you want, mental practice, mental training, relaxation, meditation. The irony to this is this is food for the soul. This is stuff we need. This is health oriented. There are countless studies going back probably 50 years on the physiological benefits alone of meditation and breathing and relaxation, not to mention other things when you get into the martial arts, they talk about chi and yoga, it's called prana. There's other things that the breath creates, energy. We get energy from relaxation um, as just one other benefit. So I just hope that part of the message that comes across from this podcast, and, I, and, I, and, I, and this is one of the most important things I could say, <laughs> is that meditation and mental practice is actually innate and organic. Hmm. And it feels right, which is why it's so hard for me to get the kid. I've had parents lay down with the kids at camps. Nobody wants to come out. And what does that tell you? must feel right. It must feel right. It must feel healthy. Something really good must be happening. Mm -mm -mm. So let's get into these questions. We have laid it, the man. groundwork for this conversation. <laughs> and these questions are fantastic. And again, we've probably answered a few of them, but we want to make sure we give these folks a shout out. Let's get into right. Question number one comes from the baseball Academy. It's in Northern Ontario. It's at baseball Sudbury. They want to ask, and I think it's a very general question of why is baseball 90% mental, but 90% of coaches spend 10% or less on mental game prep. So I think it's more of the why, why do you think coaches don't spend as much time on mental game as they should? 
it, it's it goes back to Nino's comment in a way. I think coaches feel like they have to, you know, have the be a sports psychologist, have a degree. Yeah. Also, look, let's face it. Anything in life, there's sort of that education piece that needs to happen, mm-hmm. and I think that if you don't know what you don't know, or even if you sort of know it's out there, and, and I think coaches nowadays know it's out there, um, it's it's work. I mean, it t- it takes effort to yeah. learn about it, educate yourself, um, so that you feel comfortable, you know, speaking from that place. So I just think it's 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 just evolution in a way. It, it's just part of. But I think again, things are changing so radically that now, and I know we've talked about this, you know, offline here, but. Mm-hmm. You know, the amount of coaches that I know that are taking kids through, I mean, we can just go around a, you know, a few teams, Oregon State, Auburn, UC Santa Barbara, Harvard, Michigan. You know, I mean, these are just USD. You know, yeah. these are teams that are just jumping out at me. Um, I believe our good old friend Ed Blankmeyer at St. John's mm-hmm. is, is big into doing breath work with his team. Um, so the bottom line is this. Um, it's happening. It's just, as you know, like anything that's sort of new in life, it just takes a while for the education um, piece to get to the point where people now feel like, I got it, I understand it now, yeah. and now I can, you know, I feel empowered to, 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 to share it. I love it. Okay, rolling downhill. Uh, next question comes from Scott Supernan. He's a teacher, coach, data forward, lives out in Iowa, at Scott Soups, one T. And also Cole Mouter, and he kind of had a couple of questions, which we'll reference him a couple of times, but uh, he's a coach at Gilroy High School out there in California, a lifelong learner at Cole Mouter. And they ask, how do we get buy-in that we need to run these programs like a meditation, like visualization, like focusing on breathing, mainly from the high school player? And again, we're talking about the 14 to 18-year-old. We know what that player looks like, thinks like, what the process that they're in the middle of. But what are some ways that they can get buy-in and what are some examples of when they do get buy-in, what the potential could be? Just a great question. I love this question so much because this, this comes up all the time. And I'm, as you know, I'm a very, very easygoing guy. Mm-hmm. I don't like to push stuff down people's throats at all. But I get pretty convicted when I talk about this topic. And what I try to do is, is put it on them, meaning if a coach was in front of me or parents or a player, I would say something as simple as this. How great do you really want to be in your life, mm-hmm. in your career? And usually they'll say, if it's a, a player, they'll say, you know, I want to play in the big leagues for 20 years, or, or I want to get a college scholarship, or get drafted, or, or be as great as I can be. And then I try, and I come back with a follow-up question, which is, okay, would you agree the game's 90% mental or more? You know, maybe not exactly now, but at some point. And they're like, yeah, I, I, I do know that. And I'm like, well, if you really want to be great, doesn't it make sense that you have to start? tuning into that part of the game and working it on that part of the game. You want to be a fifth degree black belt in hitting or pitching. Don't you want to be a fifth degree black belt in the mental game? And so I try to, I try to put that more on them rather than trying to beat it, beat them down with it and just yeah. try to make this common sense. And so I would do the same thing back to the question. If I had a, a group of high school players, if I had 30 kids in the room, 50 kids in the room, I, I, I just try to level with them and say, say look guys, I'm going to bring in some mental practice techniques and some game management stuff. We're doing this every day. And if you really can't stand it, you don't, you know, you can leave the room or whatever. We can figure something out. But first of all, that's another way of answering the question. It starts also from the conviction of the coach mm-hmm. and the the presentation, you know, the, the energy behind it, if you will, from the coach. 
um, which is why I recommend all coaches start their own practice just so they ha- they can speak from some experience. But regardless, is you're just leveling with the kids and saying, look, I believe this is going to make a profound effect on your career. And when you just have, a, I think, a very reasonable, logical discussion rather than, hey, we're bringing in this new stuff and you guys have to do it and blah, blah, blah. But let them figure out like, okay, yeah, this makes sense. Like I, it probably makes sense to really start to, you know, factor in and, and start really working on the mental game, mm-hmm. whether it's 90% or 40% or 98%. Let's, let's start working on it. So I, I just think that maybe that was another long way of saying, have a great conversation about it. Show your conviction behind doing it. Let the kids know that there is no doubt in your mind as someone that's a very experienced player in this game and now coach in this game, and you've been around a lot of teaching and, and a lot of education. Like, guys, this is, and this is where I feel like it's happening now with a lot of programs that I've been in touch with. This is now just becoming part of the vernacular. This is not like shove it down your throat anymore. Do you shove PFP down people's throat? Or is it just part of the practice plan? You do it to get better. You know, I think, and I'll add to this, Alan, tell me if, if sure. uh, you subscribe to this as well. I think the check-in after the fact, or as this starts to get implemented and it's more consistent, I think the coach-to-player check-in, hey, is this working? Are you enjoying this? Is this going well for you? Where are you getting stuck? I think if you show the investment, just like you would as a hitter, hey, well, I want you to try this, and you give them a couple rounds of BP and you come back to them and check in, and say what worked, what what didn't you like? You know, what are you working on inside your mental process? I think if the check-in part from the high school coach to the player shows that, hey man, I am invested in how this is working for you as an individual, not just the team, but for you as an individual. And then where can we be better? What do we need to work on? Would you agree with that? Massive. It's a massive point, and it's a, actually it's an essential part of the process. And mm-hmm. I'm really glad you mentioned it because, which is all you, but it's it is massive because. That communication, that check-in, giving kids a voice, letting them have a chance to say, hey, I'm really, really liking this, or I'm really struggling a little bit with getting quiet or yeah. following my breathing. Um, but I, look, I think at the end of the day, man, with with the internet, how advanced these kids are, it's out there. People yeah. are aware of things like meditation and yoga and alternative medicine. And, you know, I mean, let's face it, it's... You know, you go to Google now, or it's so so funny. I was just up at Facebook for the first time. I had a tour, and it was such a cool experience. But there's a quiet room there. You know, it's like, (laughs) you know, this is part, look, all bosses, all managers, whatever you want to call it, they want their players, they want their coworkers to be as efficient and effective and healthy as possible. So they want to present whatever it takes. And I love what you said, because I think that the follow-up is a big deal. Okay, great friend of the ABCA, Jim Machuski. is a head coach at Malden High School in South Carolina. Fantastic dude at Machuski 24, Coach Mach. And he asked, what is the best way to begin to implement a quote-unquote mental training program? There's a lot of information to sort through. And again, we're presenting a lot in the show, but how do you start for that coach in that moment? And Alan, I'm going to send you to this, this moment where a coach is at that critical point of, man, I really need to do this. But what is the best way for me to literally tip over the fence and start rolling? What do you got? Okay. Well, number one, hi, Jim, because we see Jim all the yeah. time on the CA <laughs> no chats. Doubt. No doubt. Um, and I know what, what a loyal guy he is to the ABCA yes. and just in general to the baseball community. Yeah. Number Look, I tell everybody the same thing. Go to Google uh, because Google is incredible. Mm-hmm. Keyword something like 
guided meditation, guided breathing exercise, mental training, mental practice. Now, I'm biased because I've been doing it for 29 years, and we're, we're on a podcast talking about it. <laughs> and we're going to have links to uh, an article I wrote in Collegiate Baseball that I really, really like. That I feel I like kept it very simple. But there is a 10-minute guided mental practice plan that's written out in great detail. And you can study that. There's a YouTube video that's, I believe, also going to be part of um, – the, the resources that you're, you, you're going to make available. And if not, it's really easy. You go to YouTube and keyword Jager mental talk. There's a lot of stuff on the process and there's a 15, 20 minute guided breathing meditation as well right there. And I would say just cause we're on the topic, if you started with those two things and get your notebook out and you just really started with some bullet points there and some infrastructure there and I think the article and the video are going to fill in tons and tons of blanks and really an, enough to where you feel like, okay, I got this. I'm going to be able to, I may not be perfect, mm-hmm. but I, I can definitely take my kids through a 10 or 15 minute breathing exercise tomorrow. I can definitely feel good about talking about the process. And, and again, use other resources that fill in the blanks that maybe you like more or different or better, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I would just say that, especially because we're doing this now, those two links, again, only because they're four or five years old, they're, they're 24, 25 years um, of, of practice and training yeah. in one spot. And I would just say that would be a really good infrastructure. But again, use the amazing internet as a resource and you can do as much homework as you want. Yeah. And that article and that YouTube link, just so our listeners know, that stuff's evergreen. It's not segmented in some certain point in time. Uh, it's very evergreen. It's very relevant today. And, and Mach, I'll just throw in there, man. I was, I was telling Alan the other day on the phone, had a couple coaches a couple years ago reach out because they knew I used to do this with my team. And they, and they asked me, what did you do? How did it look? Well, I took you through a, like a mental, you know, basically breathing exercise each day. And our guys loved it. And they were literally paralyzed with fear to do it. Well, what if I put myself out there and I get them down and they're breathing? I don't know what to say. And so we literally helped write a script of, basically what Alan laid out is 10 minute process. And I just laid them out. Here's the things I used to say. Here's how I used to bring them through their breathing here. The, you know, the trigger words or whatever it might be to bring them out. And, uh, so again, you can reach out to myself. You can reach out to Alan, you can reach out to anybody out there that connects with us, that, that does this. And that's certainly the beauty of this community to try to help you gain confidence to push over. Now, a great question here. And this is another friend of the ABCA, Dave Pritchard, head coach at Cumberland County high school down in Tennessee's at Dave Pritchard. Fantastic dude. Lack of confidence is real, and players are hearing from everyone around them, grandmas, parents, girlfriends, all of them, how great they are, but we still see many of our players still struggle with adversity. So how can the mental game be used to really combat this and fight their way through tough times? Well, as you know, we've talked about this a bunch, you know, but as far as coming back to the process, confidence is a byproduct of being a 10th degree black belt Mm. at your process. So. The more you're committed to your process and immersed into your process, so much so that you default to it, then you become very natural and very instinctive and you become very immersed in the present moment. So the mind is what is going to create the thoughts and those distractions and the worries that is going to potentially really beat down the confidence. So I would have people try to look at this more in terms of if you are really connected and immersed in those two or three things that are going to lead to you executing your best pitch or swing Mm -hmm. per se. And you start living in that world and that world, here's that saying again, that world starts becoming you. Well, now all of a sudden you feel confident 
because all you're doing is you're you're allowing what your deepest intrinsic motivation wants to do. And oh, by the way, your most natural and instinctive actions to come out, Mm -hmm. you're allowing that to be your new normal. Lack of confidence, and you could put almost anything in this category, stress, fear, anxiety, worry. It's all sort of in the same you know, world. Yeah. <laughs> it's all based on drama. It's all yeah. based on leaving your process. So where someone may say a lack of confidence, someone else may say overthinking. Someone else may say stressing about scouts in the stands. Like to me, you can tell me any variable. There comes back to that billion interchangeable variables. You can tell me any variable you want. And I don't mean to say this without empathy, because I do have empathy about it. But what I really, my bottom line is going to always come back to pretty, pretty black and white. You've left your process. Mm. Not having confidence per se, I know it sounds very grandiose and, and maybe ambiguous in a way. Um, to me, I look at it as very simple. <laughs> you have left your process. You have entered the world of drama. You've entered the world of thoughts. And you've entered the world of things that are going to now create a story that has nothing to do with your process. It's the story, by the way, that, that beats down the confidence or creates the worry or creates the fear or creates the anxiety or creates the future or past. So I know it's not a, a clean, simple answer like, hey, say this and then you'll be confident. <laughs> but to me, confidence, another word I really love is trust. Yeah. Those two words to me are really a byproduct. Then this is here, here is again, not only coming back to the process, it's coming back to the meditation because when you start spending 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes in quiet or in meditation, you start getting to know yourself really well and you start getting to hear those thoughts that are maybe distracting you or beating you down and you get to practice letting them go and not engaging them. One of the most important words that I didn't bring up earlier in meditation is called neutrality and one of the best benefits that comes out of meditation is you start to hear words or thoughts come up They're distracting you, they're confusing you, they're causing stress, they're causing anxiety, and what you're learning to do is say, is be neutral and not engage and not have a conversation with it and not buy into the story. And that practice of being neutral brings you back to a place of peace, a place of, again, what I would call intrinsic value, your your, your Mm -hmm. deepest part of you. And that is where you're confident and that is where you trust. So in a way, again, this comes back to getting quiet and learning how to be in a place where if things that come up are distracting that are leading to your confidence getting getting shaken you can actually learn how to let those patterns and that story go in your meditation practice so part of the answer is going to be being more disciplined and knowing what your process is you can be great at it part of it's going to be coming back to your meditation practice each day where you can start to let stories and thoughts and things go that are part of what's, you know, distracting you. Keep it rolling here. Matthew Chandler, head coach in the Jaguars baseball organization, Indiana. Matt, again, he's social media guy at coach Matthew 88. Once a mental game routine is established, Alan, how much time should be allocated to this routine daily? I know we've talked about the 10 minute plan. Can you go less? Can you go more? What's maybe a sweet spot for that? Sweet spot is truly more like 15 to 20 minutes, but, I would say early on, like anything in life, you want some success. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to make it easy to digest. You don't want to overwhelm people. So I would say start with an eight to ten eight to ten minute practice, like the article gets into. And here's what happens: the ten minutes at first may seem like ten minutes, 
Then as it starts to become 15 minutes because the kids don't want to come out, it seems like 10 minutes to them. Mm-hmm. There will come a point if someone does this you know, uh, consistently enough, there will come a point where 30 minutes will feel like 10 minutes. Yeah. And, and that to me is, you're, you're talking about people being on a, on a, on a, in, a, in a space where now you talk about defaulting to a very deep connection with your process and your breathing and yeah. being present. I mean, so... 10 minutes is a great starting point. If someone said that's all I've got for the next 365 days, but they did it every day, I'd be thrilled. Mm. But the idea is that sort of like a nap is that got that sort of 20 minute concept behind it. Meditation in general, uh, 20 minutes is considered to be about the, the sweet spot. But look, we're at a point now, again, I'm more about the continuity and doing it daily. And um, yeah. if they started with 10 minutes a day, it's a great start. That's good. Coach Hiltz, he coaches at Andover High School in Kansas at Coach Hiltz AHS. Great ABCA chatter, contributes a lot. Also, Greg Thomas Jr. at Windsor Academy in Georgia at Coach G underscore Thomas. They want to know, and I know you were ready for this question, how do we implement mental practice or warm-up into our game day routines? Because what we're talking about a lot of this is mental practice. We're seeing the practice plan, all those things. But we're talking about game day now, so that's arriving at the field, hitting BP, stretch, throw, run, all that good stuff, first pitch. How do we get the mind prepared for game day? Great question. Same thing. It's all about continuity. So if you do it at X amount at X point at practice, you do it at X point in the game. Um, maybe a more straightforward answer would be first thing you do when you get to the field, um, you meet with your kids, you do what you need to do, mm-hmm. you get your meditation in, and then you move into the day. Now, I will say this. Um, which is why it's a great question because it may not be always exactly right before the game. Um, I found that sometimes, especially starting pitchers that, you know, have that 45 minutes to an hour window before the game, they might go into the locker room or clubhouse and they might get, you know, they may do one before they get to the field to kind of get centered and grounded. And then they may have a lot of time before the game. Theoretically, if you're a relief pitcher, you know, every inning or two, you could do some, some breathing exercises um, sort of to set yourself up for your, your appearance. Um, hitters, sometimes they, they want to do it. I know it's funny. I was just up at Stanford with the, the Oregon state guys. And so Tyler Graham is the guy that does a lot of the meditation with the players. And some of his feedback has been some of the players really like to take BP first and then do it after BP before mm-hmm. the game. Or maybe I've got that backward. It might be before BP, but then not do it right before the game. So I think that's something that varies. Um, but I think the bottom line is this. You become what you practice. It's every day. And also just the idea of it being a practice or game to me, the process doesn't know. All that matters is is that I show up to the field, I get my, my gear on, I have my practice, and when you do it, that works best for you. Of course, first thing at practice I think is important, but when you do it for a game day, maybe different for everybody. But as a rule of thumb, I would just say to make this thing cohesive yeah. <laughs> is just get the guys together, have your team meeting, get your nice meditation session in. And now you've sort of begun to ring the bell leading into the rest of of the game. And I just want to make, sorry, one last comment about ringing the bell. Mm -hmm. When you ring the bell, you do that meditation, so to speak, first thing in the morning or first thing at practice or first thing right before the game uh, when the kids get there. You metaphorically ring a bell. And, the, and what I love about this is that that bell ringing is sort of like a flow state. You're in a great place. And here's the cool thing. 
you can sort of get into a habit of just taking a deep breath every few minutes, every so often. And what you're kind of doing is you're restriking the bell. Mm. And, it, and, and so that meditation serves as a great point of reference. Uh, you know, of course, it's like a baseline. And so now your breath can sort of really keep you connected. Because the idea with meditation is you don't just do the meditation, open your eyes, and now you're in a, in a, a completely different world. A true form of meditation is what's called meditation in action, meaning you don't leave the meditation in the meditation hall. You take the meditation with you, just like a tortoise has a shell on its back wherever the tortoise goes. It can pop its head in anytime it wants, but it carries the, it with with him or her. So um, that's one of the reasons why I like to do things generally first, because I want that point, I want the foundation set, I want the point of reference, and I want the ability of the breath to be a connector mm-hmm. as you continue on. I'll think about that turtle reference uh, well after this show's <laughs> over. Um, you were not expecting a turtle I wasn't, reference. But today, man, <laughs> that makes so much sense. That is a great way to frame it up. Um, Thanks. High school coach, and I'm really intrigued by, has been sharing quite a bit lately. Coach Kennan from head coach at MacArthur High School down in Texas at Coach Kennan talks about visualization. And this is a tough part to go into, but what have you seen as best practices to teach this? What's the language that people can use? Where the different techniques that are helping these players start to really hone in on what this visualization, maybe the goals that we want to come out of it could be. Well, for me, visualization, I talk about lanes generally. So just to give people a quick overview, imagery using your imagination is considered to be more of a macro thing, sort of like you're at the field. How do you feel at the field? What's Mm -hmm. the general rhythm at the field? What does the field look like? How do you feel? Great stuff. Uh, and you can, of course, rehearse going through certain actions. Um, I look at visualization as being micro, very specific. So um, having a hard time backdooring my curveball ball as a right-hander to a lefty, as an example. Mm-hmm. So now what I can do is I can create a lane. I, I use the term lane all the time with visualization. The lane is from literally my release point to the end point. So, yes, there's going to be a bend in the lane, but still, I can see a lane. Some people like the term tunnel or funnel or even light because the ball's white. So you can kind of create like a white light. But the bottom line is I can really work on backdooring my curveball with visualization as an aid because here's a cool thing. Theoretically, the body does not know the difference between something you're doing physically and something you're doing mentally. And why that is so critical besides the, the straightforward reason is – my best bullpen, if I throw, let's say, five out of ten fa- forcing fastballs for, for really good strikes, and let's say three out of those ten, I mean, I literally hit my spot, I think that's a pretty good pen. I mean, I think that's pretty good. Um, I don't know many people that are going to hit their exact spot more than three out of ten, maybe Maddox, but you know, more than three out of ten times. And, but here's the cool thing. I can visualize hitting the exact spot I want 10 out of 10 times. Right. So I can promote muscle memory, and, and I hope I don't get in trouble with the science community, but what I believe are neural pathways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can promote neural pathways, and I can promote muscle memory, so to speak. And what, what I like to call strengthening, and that's really where I think the term locked in comes from. You're, you're creating almost like this heat that's pulling you like a magnet because the mind is just seeing the perfect thing over and over again. So now it starts to, it's almost like that 
organization of your body, um, Bernstein's principle. It's mm. pulling you. So visualization to me is very, very powerful for very specific things. Um, you could do visualization for getting a better secondary lead. I mean, you can literally do it for whatever you want, but for, for most people, it's going to come down to hitting and pitching. Pitchers, yeah. you can work on lanes all day long. You can work on fastballs in, fastballs away, fastballs wherever you want. You can work on breaking balls. You can backdoor stuff. Um, so I really think it can improve pitches that you actually physically aren't doing as well as you want it. So that's one of the first major benefits of visualization. And by the way, hitters, same thing. Let's say a hitter's struggling with uh, forcing fastball in on the hands. Mm-hmm. Well, all of a sudden now, yeah, you can physically work on it, and hopefully you get better at it too. But maybe mentally by visualizing, first of all, maybe there's some awareness that wasn't there before about, oh, that's why I'm cutting myself off. So number one, visualization can actually help you with some some body awareness. But But two, again... You can see yourself getting your hands through or pulling your hands in or whatever it's called nowadays to, to do the right thing. Sure. And now all of a sudden, your body is acclimating to those movements, literally through neural pathways, the physiology. My, my point is this, man. Visualization can promote um, powerful skill development without even touching a ball. So, um, and you mentioned something earlier that's clutch, which is... The more you, you, you do these meditations and the clearer your mind gets, to me, the, the stronger the imprint of the visualization. And visualization, like imagery, uh, would come in really more after that warm-up of the breathing and the relaxation exercise, because hopefully the mind is clear. And the clearer the mind is, I believe the more receptive it is, again, the stronger the imprint. Um, so in, in a nutshell, visualization, of course, could have been a 40-minute answer, but that that's a good starting point with the the importance and value of visualization. Crushed, Al. Let's just keep this thing rolling, man. Again, this is a couple of coaches that had similar ideas here. Zach Casto is a huge baseball fan. Again, jumps on our chat, shares all the time. He's a blogger as well, at Coach Casto. And also Greg Thomas Jr. Mentioned him earlier at Windsor Academy. Uh, he had part of this inside his question. They're asking about what's the best way for a player to find their mental, and they use the word routine. Let's just keep this What's the best way to, for a player to find their mental process? And then do you have drills and practice that they could implement to really help their players find what works for them? What are some ways that they can lead their player towards understanding what their true process should be? Number one, it comes back to identifying it. Uh, if I'm a head coach, I'm not exaggerating. Um, I think the first thing I do before roll call, <laughs> before I even <laughs> met my new players, uh, and of course I'm being a little facetious here, but I, I would explain to them what the process is, and I'd have them identify it. I would literally want them. I use three as sort of a sweet spot. It could be two. It could be one. It could be four. Eventually, I think it becomes sort of a, a, a pretty simple unconscious knowingness. But ultimately, what two or three things do you know that if you just were locked into those two or three things, it would lead to the best execution of X, whether mm-hmm. it's a pitch, a swing, and write it down and know that we can change this tomorrow or a week from now after a couple of bullpens. But for right now, and one thing I've learned, Jer, is that this is, it's so unconsciously there. They, they're, they're so in tune intuitively mm-hmm. with what works for them because they all relate to the best game of their life. And they're all like, oh, I did that or I did that. So and if they don't have a good feel right away, I'll give them some suggestions like I did earlier. Breathe, focal point, attack. Most pitchers I've worked with, by the way, that's sort of what their mantra comes down to. Yeah. But the bottom line is, 
first get them to identify what their process is. So now you both have a point of reference and you can troubleshoot from that. Um, and then that becomes part of the routine. And then secondly, something you said earlier, it's your follow-up. Mm-hmm. It's your consistency mm-hmm. with them. Ask them questions. If I was a coach, for instance, um, you know, and I knew a player was breathe focal point attack and he was pinning, um, maybe after a couple pitches, if they didn't look right, I'd have them step off, even though I don't like to bother pitchers too much. And I'd say, hey, scale of zero to 100. How much were you locked into your process just now? And they're like, oh, coach, you know, I really, really 30. I kind of really wasn't. Oh, okay, really? Well, can we get, let's do 100 now. Yeah. And let's see how the next pitch goes. What? Tell me your process again, uh, coach. It's breathe, focal point, attack. Do you want to add anything right now? Nope. Got it, coach. Boom. Next pitch, it's magical how often it, it just shifts. So that's the follow-up piece. Um, and then I think the, the second part of the question goes back to if you're the leader and you're the coach and every day the kids show up, you're doing a 10 or 15-minute breathing exercise and that's part of the culture, um, that's also how this gets established as a routine. Yeah, that's really good. What about Isaac Hamilton? He's the varsity pitching coach at Roger High School in Minnesota at Coach Hamilton 3. His question showed up on our pitching podcast as well, but he's asking how do we train our pitching staff to be mentally tougher so, again, we're moving past errors or bad calls, things that might happen, and get back to locking into their jobs, really the next pitch. Again, how do we incorporate this mental practice into specifically that? Well, I'm going to use a different word other than tough. Okay. Um, and, and I and I so appreciate that question. And, and, I, and, and tough can work. I like the word discipline instead okay. because I'm going to bring it back to the process because being mentally tough to me is being mentally disciplined meaning are you disciplined to stay with your process if the shortstop kicks the ball Mm. if you just got the first two guys out in the inning and then a lazy fly ball drops and now you're really frustrated frustration is drama you can you can feel frustrated for one second or four seconds because you're human but if you want to be a 10th degree black belt, Bruce Lee at your process, because you've agreed it's the key to the best pitch of your life, there's no time for anything else, right? Yep. It is back to breathe, focal point, attack. Well, now all of a sudden, this is about being more disciplined. And you can argue too, yeah, you have to be tough to let the frustration go. I'm good with that too. But at the end of the day, same idea. It comes down to, can you default back to your process quickly? There it is. I love it. Uh, Mr. Arrington. So I'm guessing that's his, his name in the classroom. Uh, he's a baseball coach down in Georgia. He's at Arrington WMS. And Mr. Arrington wants to know, finding the balance between presenting players with a mental slash uh, philosophical approach at the plate, yet also helping them understand the importance of a relaxed mind. So he's really seeing those as two separate things. How can they find the balance or do you see them as two separate things? Man, that's a, another really great question. These are all been great questions. Oh, um, yeah. Number one, I mean, I would say that there's a time and a place, of course, for hitting mechanics and working on hitting mechanics. Um, and there's a time and a place, of course, for working on being fluid and free and clearing your mind and being relaxed and all that good stuff. Yeah. So I see them ultimately, of course, as one. But I think the key is, is really where, where I think the question is coming from is that man, you got to put a a lot more time probably into the mental part because I think that like with pitching and pitching mechanics, we get get dominated with hitting and hitting mechanics Mm -hmm. because 
that's sort of you're a hitting coach or a pitching coach. That's what you you're, you sort of you know feel is is one of your your main callings. And I'm not saying every coach is that way, but look, if I'm a pitching coach, I'm going to do pitching lessons. If I'm a hitting coach, I'm going to do hitting lessons. Now nowadays, I think things have really evolved, and and mm-hmm. coaches are thinking about more than just mechanics, but it still seems to be maybe a little bit more of a default. So my point is this. Work on the mechanics the way you think you need to work on them. Show some video. Do what you need to do there. But be very clear that having a clear mind, a relaxed mind, a freed up body, you know, mm-hmm. part of relaxation is the body is loose and relaxed. Let's, let's make sure that we get the body. Because sometimes a hitter's fix is them just being more clear, more relaxed, more free. And that's the end of the story. So, yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're, it's obviously a balance. Yeah. And that, that's where I was trying to lead, I guess, between my own ears, Alan, is that I don't know if I can, if I want to see them as I have to balance one versus the other. I see more of the relaxed, clear mind. I'm always big on the umbrella. I think the umbrella, you know, thought is that I need to be clear. I need to be relaxed. And just being part of that mental philosophical approach just falls underneath the umbrella. I think no matter what, it's always there. But then can we fit in, hey, this moment calls for X. Does that make sense? It does. And, and I just want to add one quick piece to that. So now it depends on the age. If we're dealing with little league kids or you know, 13, 14-year-olds, I can see where mechanics is going to play a bigger role. But here's a question I've asked kids that are older, you know, college, professional. If I said to you, let's say you're in, in college playing right now or you're in pro ball. If I said, and I've had this conversation, believe me, more than once, <laughs> because they're, they're trying to maybe tell me about the mechanical issue or this issue or that issue. And I said to them, if you pitched tomorrow and your mind was totally clear and relaxed and you felt total freedom and the only thing you knew was a focal point to attack, no mechanics, just you, the only thing that exists is, is your breath, your focal point, and you're just going to attack it, you know, compete to that spot. I go, how do you think your mechanics are going to be? And it's 100%. The answer, it's quick. Yeah. Oh, man, I'll be fluid. I'll be synced up. All Everything's, I don't need to worry about my mechanics. So that goes hand in hand with what, you know, you just said. I, I think, yes, don't get me wrong. Sometimes we need to put mechanics maybe first and really, you know, clean some stuff up. Mm-hmm. But with that said, I agree a million percent with you. If you tell me that the athlete is clear and relaxed and mentally free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, and they meaning they're gonna see the ball well. I just believe that you organize, you sink, and you're and you're efficient and quick, and you're also natural and inherent. Mm-hmm. So, so I've always, you know, I've been a pitching coach, so to speak, for 29 years, and I can honestly say that uh, you know, there's a time and a place to talk about keeping your front side in, and I get that for the most part. I work way more with players on just the dance and the rhythm and the feel and the, and the mental part. Um, I just feel like we're dancing. We, 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 we sink when we're free and we're athletic. Yeah. And so, um, anyway, yeah, I'm with them. No, that's it. I think when you're clear and relaxed, I think it's easier to tap into the flow in the moment of the game. I think it's easier to feel yeah. that IQ moment of I'm supposed to do this as opposed to, uh, the other way around. So, um, thanks for clarifying on that. Keep this thing rolling. We've got a few more questions to get to, Al, before we cut you loose. But one, it comes from Jacob Hudson. He's a pitching coach at Brescia University down in Owensboro. I know how to pronounce that because I coached at Brescia for one year. So it's good to nice. have this question come home. At Hudson 593 
pitching staff's made up mostly of freshmen and sophomores, so he's wondering how could we practice a positive mentality or you know build up his guys each day, but still bring that competitiveness, knowing that we're going to take our lumps on the mound. He's trying to balance the fact of I got to keep these guys positive because we're working through some things, but he's also again judged against wins, losses, ERA, strikeouts, walks, all that good stuff. How can how can he use mental practice to really balance that? I would change the label of all of it, meaning instead of it being we're going to take our lumps or this or that, positive versus negative, I would change the the psychology of it and say, look, let's have a new chart, sort of like quality at bats. There, there's a shout out for spring. There it is. Steve Springer, qualityatbats.com. So it comes down to a quality at bat, right? It comes down to a quality pitch. It comes down to me, the process. Were you 80 out of 80 pitches today in your process? You might have given up six runs. You might be a freshman and not quite ready for this level. But I want to change the psychology of this. If you were 80 out of an 80, you get an A-plus today in your process. You get an A-plus as far as your evolution moving forward in this game. So if you change the, the, the psychology, how you look at this, all of a sudden it's not about, oh, I gave it five or six runs. I had a bad outing. Mm-hmm. I'm taking, you know, now it's more about, no, 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 no. I'm getting better. It's the same as having a quality at bat and lining out. Yep. You can be 0 for 1 and be frustrated and disappointed and why me? Or you can truly believe, here's the word intrinsic again, deep down meaning, you can truly believe, man, I did everything right. I executed. Yeah, I wish it, I wish it fell in. But you know what? I feel good. And the more you can tap into that, the more you genuinely, I, I feel like, evolve efficiently and i think that the other way around of it is that you're trying to constantly correct like okay you're taking your lumps you had a bad game Mm -hmm. you're trying to keep their spirits up i would look at it i would change the dynamic i would just say look have a chart for did you execute your pitches well today did you stick to your process well today are you 20 for 20 the last days on doing your meditation that's what i want to know and if you can say yes to that that's where i want to put the focus Yes, we're human. We're going to see the ERA. We're going to see the win-loss record. I get it. But that goes back to the process. The yeah. win-loss record is drama. Your ERA is drama. You're being a freshman and giving up X amount of runs is drama. The process doesn't know any drama, even if the drama is out there. It doesn't care about the drama. It only cares about the next pitch. That goes back to spring. Batting average is evil. That goes back to an augieism. You know, failure is nothing but a learning opportunity. Um, so I get repurpose that language around exactly what you're trying to get done now, but also as you're trying to trend these guys towards becoming successful juniors and seniors, I think just re repurpose those words. I think that's great advice, Alan. Um, Thanks, bud. last few here, man, dirt bags, yeah. baseball, their youth travel team in South Elgin, Illinois recruited up in that way at dirt bags travel. And they're going to wonder about how would a coach implement this mental game, confidence building relaxation program for their seventh and eighth grade levels. And I think I know where you'll go with this, but also a piece of this question is they got to work the parents into the buy-in of this, which again, you talked about at camps, how would they do it for the youth levels? And again, get the parents to understand this is important. I'm going to go back to, I'm going to cut to the chase again. Bottom line is education. Mm -hmm. I want the parents to know how are your, how is your child going to, how are you going to feel knowing your child is going to be mentally healthier, more relaxed, less stressed in his or her life, um, you know, have clearer direction of what they want to do, react better to situations that might be stressful. 
if that's valuable to you, then guess what? I'm bringing in some principles, some mental training principles. I'm bringing in a mental practice. We're making that part of the culture here. And that's a word I know you and I love and we haven't mm-hmm. talked enough about. Mm-hmm. But that is becoming part of our culture. Now, if you don't feel like you want your, your, your son or daughter to participate with that, no problem. But I'm just letting you know I've done my homework and I am now bringing in, this is where the game is going. Yeah. This is where... Um, this is part of the evolutionary path now of sports, which because it's already happening in life. So I want to get ahead of this. Or I want to I get with the wave and I want to bring this to the kids. So that's number one to the parents. I can't imagine a parent saying, hey, I don't like the idea of you teaching my son or daughter how to relax and clear their mind for starters. Number sure. one, the buy-in to the kids goes back to something we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask the kids, how far do you want to go in this game? Or really more importantly, how great do you want to be? And every kid's going to say, Coach, I want to be great. I want to see how far I can go in this game. Do you believe me if I tell you from all my experience as a player and now as a coach and I'm doing research and studying other ideas out there to help improve athletes, will you guys trust me if I say that we're going to do this little breathing exercise for five or ten minutes a day that's really going to help you and, and make a, a difference in your career path? Coach, sounds good. We trust you. Do you guys mind if we talk? We're going to talk a little bit about this idea of this process. It's going to help your mind stay really focused in the present and not get caught up with distractions anymore or hopefully as much as anymore ideally and they're like coach hey if that's going to help us out with distractions and stress so you know again i'm saying i think things are pretty obvious but it, it comes down to the the translation you just need to make the connection with the players and with the parents and just say hey this is what i got this is what i'm bringing in i cannot imagine a parent especially nowadays because this has become very mainstream i just can't imagine a parent not being interested in a coach who wants to do some drills and skills and practices Mm -hmm. (laughs) that are going to help promote mental and physical health and well-being. Last two questions. Robert Dorschak with the Through Baseball organization. Met this guy out on the Barnstormers Trail at Through Baseball. How do we help players and parents see the big picture? And I try to maybe conceptualize this a little bit for him, but not get lost in the results, the wins and losses, the drama, as you called it, but instead on how each individual worked with what they were given on that given day. So again, I think he's wanting to help uh, players and parents really boil it down to the basics of you did what you could do within what you could control. Does that make sense? It, it, yeah, I can hear you saying right now, Al, I got this one. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know the answer already. I do, I do. And I almost feel like saying sheets, it's yours, man. I want you to, it's your podcast, my friend. Oh, man. Um it's a great question, and I think the cool thing is that we laid this all down at the beginning so that these questions now can sort of uh, have a point of reference, mm-hmm. But and it's a really cool question. You know, At the end of the day, it's going to always come back to mastering the process or, or, or tuning into the process and being great at that and using that as your measurement. You know, I think that's sort of what a lot of this podcast is starting to come down to, right? Yeah, yeah. Changing the psychology of your measurement, changing your attitude toward how you're measuring yourself at the end of the day we can only control our approach our process we can only control what's happening now so you know lock into that value that Mm -hmm. and if you're two and 12 or 12 and two man i wish you're 12 and two i of course i do it's it's really irrelevant to the next moment right and so that's why it's always going to keep coming that's why i love laying down the process up front because now, where I used to have 10-hour conversations with people about fixing their process because they had 
10 hours worth of things maybe to talk about. I'm being a little facetious, of course. Now it's usually 30-second 30, 30 conversations once we've established the process because they, no matter what they bring up, I'm going to say variable drama, variable drama, yep. not process, variable drama. So in the case of these questions, they're all great questions, but I know it sounds almost like I'm trying to simplify this, and I'm not saying that there aren't things that get complex, but at the end of the day, it is really about simplifying this to identify your process, be great at it, know that everything else is variables, and know that your your, your meditation is a huge piece to helping you make that transformation as well. That's it. And Rob, I would say as a coach in practice, it starts with your first team meeting. It starts when you've got your parents and your players in front of you. And hey, when you play on my team, here's the way we're going to conceptualize this entire experience. So I don't want you to get lost in the scoreboard. I don't want you to get lost in you know, 0 for 4s. We're not worried about any of that. This is how we frame success. This is how we frame learning opportunity. So I think it starts certainly there, but obviously on a consistent basis. Are you that person that shows up to practice each and every day? Or are you, you know, when a guy gets thrown out at second base, are you a throw-your-hands-up guy or a palms-up guy when somebody misses a sign? Or are you back to, nope, got to get back to what were you given today? What were, How are we measuring success? So I think all the same thing, but – uh, I think Alan's laid out perfectly that, man, it does start with recognition of your process, awareness of what really matters, and just being consistent, consistent with that message over and over again. So that's the only way they can conceptualize the game. Very briefly on that point, too, which your your input triggered something because your input was so important, and that is something we haven't talked about today, which is I would ask a coach the same thing. How great do you want to be? Mm. Um, part of it is investigating everything from mental game to nutrition and so on and so forth. But I would urge any coach out there to start with a five or 10 minute breathing exercise, some relaxation, some practicing of, of this for, uh, you know, of course, for experiential reasons, but also identify your process. Mm -hmm. What are the two or three things that are key for you in the dugout? What are the two or three messages that you know you want the kids to, to hear? Because you also obviously are symbolic of what's happening. And so you want to reflect that to the kids, not to mention, I just think in general, it's just a healthy way to coach and it's beneficial for you to really know your two or three things or four things. Um, but I think it's important that coaches understand too. And it goes back to something you said to, to Robert that, you know, you're the metaphor as well. You know, you're the guide. And so if you're out there constantly bring, bringing yourself back to your process or bringing the team back to the process, it's powerful. I, 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 I had a, a really good friend of mine, Robert Lanetta, whose son Anthony played at USC, and we got very close. He was the pitching coach at um, Riverside Poly for a number of years. And they got so into the process, they, and they made it to Dodger Stadium. And he set it up. I don't know how he did this, but instead of it saying happy birthday every inning or so to somebody, it said process <laughs> on the Dodger Stadium scoreboard. Got to know a guy. <laughs> he he might he you know he must have known somebody but sure. you know what I'm saying it's like it's it's the buy-in is yes the individual individual players have to identify their process and be great at it but you have to identify your process being yeah. be great at it. and there probably needs to be a team process that's identified <laughs> that's fantastic oh last question I got for you is another friend of the ABCA John J Gold uh, wants to lend his name of course for certified audio gold. Uh, he's the assistant <laughs> at Albertus Magnus College in Connecticut. Uh, awesome young coach out in our association at John J Gold Two, 
and he's experiencing, again, the flat approach and energy in game one, and the positive of that is that his team really responds well and appropriately in game two, and they come out fighting and win. How could we remedy that, but also think it's the vice versa as well? Some guys are going to come out and they're ready in game one, and the second half of that doubleheader, that team doesn't necessarily show up or or as prepared for first pitch. How would they approach this inside of this conversation? Love that question, and it's easier said than done, yep. but as you know, I'm going to go back to this, the process that you shouldn't know if there's a game one and a game two. That's go. number one. The fact that there's two games in the mind is already creating a ton of drama and scenarios. So the key is, is you got and this, look, this is why you become what you practice. The more the kids are working on their process and the team process, and the more that these themes are just part of the threads every mm-hmm. single day, the culture. Now, when you have a double header, the kids are already one step ahead. They're not thinking about two games or winning game one and winning, or, or I got to be good in game one and game two. They're not even, that's all drama. Hmm. Now there's buy-in. It's part of the culture where, hey guys, we got a game. Let's all execute our processes. Let's lock into the team process. One pitch at a time. We do what we got to do. Hey, when the game is over, you can have another talk between games to get the kids ready for the next game and get them back on their process. But to, to, I understand it's it's we all watch the the, the scores of doubleheaders. It's uncanny how often doubleheaders are split, sure. and I think it's human nature because you lose a game. You're right; it creates more desperation. Vice versa, you win a game, maybe you're on your heels a little bit because it's like you know we're playing with the house's money. Mm-hmm. But I think the true, and I'm sorry for saying this word a million times, but the true tenth degree black belt process oriented person and team. They don't know there's a second game. Mm-hmm. They they literally don't know. And I remember talking to one of the kids, maybe since it's the last question, I'll finish with this kind of fun story. But I was at the UCLA when the guys came back from their national championship um, win. And it was, a, it was a great environment. Sav looked like he was literally in a different world, like he was just glowing. I mean, he's always glowing, but, mm-hmm. you know, I – and it was just a it was a special environment because they had never won before, of course. And um, I remember talking to one of the players, and I, I just I don't remember how it all came up, but the player told me because they had a routine every day, where they went to the practice field, they did X, Y, and Z, they came to the game, they went to the practice. They were so in tune with their preparation and the the little things they needed to do every single day. That when the national, I know this sounds hard to believe, but when the national championship game was over, this player was more ready to go back to the field again to work on their details for the next part of the process, not necessarily details for the next game. Wow. They were, he was so in sync with the process. And that to me is a 10th degree black belt where you're at a point, and I understand we're human and we're going to know it's a national championship game. And yet, you get to a point, you, it, nothing else really matters. You mm-hmm. just want to be great at committing to this next moment. And so, um, anyway, I thought that was kind of a fun, apropos little story. That is a fantastic story. And I'm going to add this, Alan, and, and this is just probably these last few questions. And I'm going to go back to, you know, training your pitching staff to be mentally tougher, um, you know, finding the balance, uh, pitching staff being young, how to, how to counteract that, um, you know, bringing this and creating buy-in, uh, helping players and parents see the big picture, the difference between game one and game two. Where I come back to in the word that just keeps jumping out at me is it's inconsistent. So these mm-hmm. questions, 
again, are coming, especially the back half, are coming from a place of, look, you're asking these questions because you have not implemented, trusted, and and laid and almost sewn into the fabric of your programs a true mental program, a true mental practice that shows up consistently each and every day. You haven't built that in. That's why you're experiencing these inconsistencies. Would you would you subscribe to that? Subscribe to it, man. Can I hide ten you over the over the, uh, <laughs> yes, the wires? Can. But yes, you can. Let, let me let me maybe put a bow on that because okay. I it's so because what you really just said is you you're, it's a culmination really of this this whole talk. Mm-hmm. And I want to add one piece to it because it really highlights what you just said. If every coach in this world knew that the average human being between the ages of of two and especially eighteen. Um, and, and really all human beings, that we are brought up in societies for the most part. Let's at least keep it within the United States so nobody else around the world gets mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at the way society is built, for better or for worse, our default is going to tend to go into drama because that's what's on TV and that's what's on the cell phone and the video games have their own effect. And so in other words... And, and and especially in baseball where it's stat driven, which that's a beauty of the game, of course. Mm-hmm. The seven hundred and fourteen home runs is how many Hank Aaron hit, you know, in the three thousand hit club. I mean, I think there's a beauty to the stats, but at the same time, our game is more stat driven than any other game. So that of course now factors in. So now and then we have this thing, you know, we have scouts and we have recruiters and we have scholarships and we have rankings and, and so and, and now in with social media. So my point is this. <laughs> We have a lot of practice of defaulting to drama, and we're trying to get our players in a drama-less state. If we don't have a mental training program in place, both with the management of the game and, and of course, with the practice, it goes back to what you just said, Jerry, and it's so important. Why would we expect our players' minds to default to the place we want them to go, quiet, clear, relaxed? When they have all this practice of years and years of defaulting to the drama. So another critical reason, which just complements what you just said, to have a mental program or whatever you want to call it, mental training as part of your culture. And that is the word I want to end with, as part of your culture. Mm. It's because our players and our kids are out there in the world and they are surrounded by so many potential distractions and drama we need to give them a chance to stop and and learn how to let go of the stuff and the noise and get quiet and i really feel like without guilt tripping coaches out there in the world that they're with you so much time they're with you maybe more than they are the kids are with their families and 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 if at all possible it's another reason to strongly consider making this part of your daily curriculum because you don't have to be a sports psychologist or a meditation teacher to do this, but just to create an environment, whether it's 10 minutes a day or 15 minutes a day, where you can now bring these kids in and let them decompress and let them learn how to be neutral to thoughts and stressors and let them go. And to start changing that default to where now they're about the breath and about the present moment and about the process and about letting go of stuff. My goodness, what you are doing for those kids. I mean, these coaches out there all over the world are already doing so much to help kids in their path. I mean, we all know that coaches impression us to the nth degree, but I just think this is a piece that's not being talked about from this. It's being, the mental game is being talked about. I don't see it being talked about to the point that we're talking about this today, where this is now 
daily cultural to really make significant adjustments for the kids so they can really learn how to transform from maybe someone that's thinking and worrying a lot because that's what society is creating a lot of times to someone that's now learning to be quiet and breathe and be present and let stuff roll off their back. Period, exclamation point, double high five. Just (laughs) absolutely phenomenal. And again, I think anyone listening to this, we hope that, I know Alan will speak for Alan on this, when we end this, that you feel confident that with the information that's been given, uh, but more importantly, who you are as a coach, the fact you're already in this leadership position, it means you're someone that can that can accomplish this. You can go out and develop and implement and bring this to your players. And like, like Alan said, start with yourself. I'm right there with you, raising my hand. Alan and I talked off air, trying to really grow myself in this area. It's something we can do for ourselves, but then bring it to our programs, bring it to our players, and it's certainly going to move everyone forward. Alan, for anyone paying attention to this, how can they get in touch with you? Where's more information to be had? Give them all the uh, the uh, connection pieces here. First of all, uh, easiest, jagersports.com is our website, J-A-E-G-E-R, and the word sports. And then, of course, uh, on Twitter and Instagram, we're at jagersports. Um, that's the easiest way. And, and again, I know there's going to be a link to the YouTube video and the, and the mental practice plan article, but um, I've done a uh, like a, a file um, as a guided meditation, and if uh, people are interested in that, it's a little bit longer, but something that they can still use to maybe take some notes and do some more homework on and use themselves. Um, they can just really DM us at Twitter at Jager Sports, and um, uh, we'll get their email and, and send that out to them. But uh, but listen, man, I, I number one, thank you as always, not only for just caring so much about this game, but really caring so much about this part of the game because I, I think we all know that it. Uh, uh, it's getting a lot of love nowadays, but I think it still needs some more love. And I'll just leave it on this note, which is, you know, yes, there's a lot of drama out there. Yes, there's a lot of distractions out there. But I think that those are all teaching points for people to, to know that because there's drama out there and stuff out there, we can learn to use that now to do something about it. And I don't want to make this drama seem all bad, uh, but at the end of the day, I think that all of us as coaches, if we can help bring this to players to where they have some tools about the process and they learn ways to to be calmer and quieter and clearer and more present and more at peace, which is a word we haven't talked about, mm-hmm. and feel that intrinsic meaning in their life, um, I think it's so important. And um, I hope at the end of the day that um, – we start to understand that there's a difference between noise and, and, and silence. And I think that's sort of um, another big piece of, you know, what this talk was all about. Well, let it be known that episode 133, you're uh, dipping your toe into the solo episode was, <laughs> was certainly your best work, my friend. Uh, this is a powerful episode. Again, one that I think will, will definitely run in a lot of different circles as more coaches are understanding they can do this and move it forward in their program. So Alan, Thanks for being so transparent, so so humble, but more than that, such a sharer, man, such a guy that wants to give and, and help others. We just cannot thank you enough for being part of the association, obviously being a friend, and uh, certainly glad that you carved out some time for us. Thanks for jumping on the call with us, man. We'll talk to you again soon. You got it, brother. Thanks again for having me on. Thanks so much for dialing into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast and connecting with these great teachers and coaches. 
If you're interested in more of these shows, check us out on iTunes, hit subscribe, and dive right in, or head over to abca.org slash podcast and scroll through all of our episodes. Another huge thanks to the great people over at AstroTurf for sponsoring this podcast. So if you're looking to do any field upgrades at your facility, head over to AstroTurf.com. That's AstroTurf.com and see why they have been ahead of the curve for over 50 years. Now here at the American Baseball Coaches Association, our mission is to serve coaches around the world. So let us know how we can help. Head over to our website, abca.org. If you're looking for more information, Also, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at ABCA1945, and make sure you subscribe to our new YouTube channel over at youtube.com slash ABCA1945 for the latest videos and projects that we have on deck for each of you. And finally, feel free to reach out to me directly if I can help you out on Twitter and Instagram at CoachSheets3 or by email sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at ABCA.org. We'd love to hear from our loyal members and continue to find ways to keep growing the game together. So as always, coaches, thanks for staying dialed into our Calls to the Clubhouse podcast. Until next week, we ask you keep growing, you keep developing, you keep challenging yourself inside this game. We wish you and your club the very best, and thank you for what you're doing for the game of baseball. Baseball.